<laughs> wow! You did that on purpose. I couldn't have did. <laughs> it's Tiny House Podcast, and I'm Perry. This is Michelle. And this is Mark. And this morning we have Don Niemeyer. I always need to check. I should be checking <laughs> how to say people's names because I always screw them up. Don, say your last name for us. It's Niemeyer. Niemeyer, awesome. And Don has a fantastic story to tell about how he is running, launched and is running a coffee shop out of a tiny house. But before we get to that... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, I was just going to say, yeah. let's just go on with the show. We're going to oh. do the interview, and then we'll... Whew. Anyway. I so, thought you had some salacious apparently, story or something. Yeah. Yeah. Before that... No, nothing stuff. at all. I've got nothing, as Mark says. So, <laughs> so one thing to quick mention is we first met Don at the Tiny House Unconference in Portland, Oregon, when he was living here with his wife and family and building the tiny house slash tiny coffee shop before he moved it. Oh, I didn't know he built it here. My God. This guy does no research at all, folks. <laughs> oh, listeners. Anyway. Darn it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was built here, right, Don? It was built uh, to the dried-in stage, and then we transported it from Portland to Colorado Springs, and then we did the finish work. Because there's more barnwood down there? <laughs> um, as it turns out, no. Um, but because that's where we were headed, and that's where my... Uh, you know, sometimes you got to go where the love is, as, uh, as someone said. And uh, the love for us was in Colorado Springs. We had help, and we had a place to work. And that's this is that's ultimately where we were intending to launch our business. And so we knew we had to get down here at some point. So we yeah. started in Portland because, same, for the same reason, we had an opportunity to, to be there and to work uh, with um, some people who would be extremely helpful. As it turns out, they were uh, um, just invaluable in the process. A guy... Most most notably, a guy who uh, used to own a construction, uh, like a general contractor business. So he had all the tools and a place to actually do the construction. So and, and the knowledge. And so that was a huge way to get started. And then we moved here for the finish. Very cool. Why did tell us the story as as to why you decided to do a, a, a coffee house in a tiny house? Sure. Well, um, the whole thing kind of. Like a lot of us, it's kind of accidental in, in some ways. You know, we were, we're, we're people who try to identify our values and then live as closely as we can. You know, we, and we're, we, we fight the fight of trying to work our values into our daily lives. Well, we, we own two or three coffee shops, three specifically, uh, in Portland, Oregon. And because of that whole values piece, we were looking to relocate. As our kids were getting older, we realized... We don't want to be as far away from our extended family, which is in Oklahoma, and my wife's is, uh, in Missouri, um, as Portland. So we were started looking around for, okay, why don't we sell our shops and relocate to the front range of Colorado Springs, where we had lived before when we first got married, and um, and you know do something in coffee there. And in in preparation for that, um, we got a hold of the idea of doing kind of a national tour kind of en route from Portland to Colorado, we would get a, a small RV and kind of run around the country and get ideas for our next coffee shop. That's how the whole thing began. And I believe it or not, I am answering your question. I'll come back to the tiny house <laughs> part in a minute. So all, as we, we prepared for that national minutes. tour, my wife's, um, you know, one card that she played was, well, if we're going to do this RV thing, 
it has to be small enough for me to drive. And I said, well, it has to be large enough to sleep for people and, you know, it needs a sh- shower and that type of thing. And that landed us at a Volkswagen Rialta, which has about 100 square feet of living space. Well, we really couldn't afford to just out and out buy it, but we reasoned that if we bought this and moved into it, we could trade what we were paying in rent for the RV, and then when our shop sold, we'd be ready to go. So we did that. We got this Volkswagen Rialta, we moved into it, and um, it's about 100 square feet, four of us living in there, which is the whole accidental living tiny part of it. And then we were like, okay, now just sell that. We'd sold two of our shops already, and we're like, just sell that third shop, and we'll be ready to go. Well, that took us uh, two more years. Wow. So we literally lived in 100 square feet, on the streets of Portland, because we don't we don't pull into RV parks or anything. We just kind of camp on the street, which is a tiny bit illegal. <laughs> but you know, you tiny house people are all about that conversation. You know, right? So um, we we you know we were good citizens of the community. We were business owners and we were responsible. But we lived essentially on the street. the The parks of the city was our yard, were our yard, and um, and we did that for two years. And then finally, we sold our shop and we went on our national tour. And uh, as we were visiting coffee shops, we were getting ideas for what we're going to do with our next shop. And somewhere along there, of course, very logically and uh, um, unavoidably, the tiny house conversation gets into the mix. Like, okay, we're already living tiny and we're, you know, looking to build something for our next shop. And as we would walk into these different shops, we visited over 200 shops and I did some reporting for Barista Magazine and stuff. And as we would go into these shops, the, the first one would be this grand, you know, 2,000 square feet, you know, big timbers and wood, wood floors and gorgeous cabinetry and stuff. And we thought, man, those, that's what we want to do. We want to do something really spectacular and elegant and just exquisite, you know. And then uh, the next shop we would go into would be, you know, some, some just one guy in a corner of a, a bamboo workshop someplace and uh he's like yeah you know this is just a small minimalistic kind of operation and you know i, I don't have a whole lot of overhead and we're like oh yeah that's that's us that's who we we want to be we want to be the, the minimalist kind of folks you know? <laughs> well at some point it the light bulb came on like the tiny house movement is the answer to that tiny houses are simple they're minimalistic and yet they have the uh the, the possibility at least um, if not just in the DNA of what tiny houses are, of being beautiful and elegant yeah. and, and you know crafted out of fine materials. You can make it as nice as you want. Yeah. So we said uh, that's the marriage of our dream. You know, We want to do something really nice. And, of course, for us, it's really great, high-quality coffees. But we want to do it in, a, in an environment that's simple and low overhead so we can, you know, we don't have to sell, you know, Frisbees and 20-ounce frappes in order to pay the rent on our coffee shop you know we have a pretty low overhead so we can just do what we love which is selling fine coffees and then you know close it two or three or whatever and then go home and play with my kids that was the that was the dream so the first thing that comes to mind when i think about a coffee shop in a tiny house is you don't have enough room for people to come in and and um drink their coffee and enjoy it and and basically surf the internet, which is what I use coffee houses for. You sit on other people's laps. That's what <laughs> <they're using. laughs> Exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, we, we use the stacking method. <laughs> There's not a seat available, find a lap. and We got thir- 
the bottom about eleven foot ceiling, so we can we can go a long ways. With that. Come on, <laughs> laptop. Yeah, there you go. It's a new meaning to the phrase. Yeah. Well, you know, interesting that you uh, you you tiny houser people would have that uh, right. that instinct because uh, you know, as you know, with the tiny house, it's all about creative utilization of space, and so that's what we that's because because are living, you know, super tiny with four people and a hundred square feet. Um, a hundred square feet to me was like, Bill, this is going to be a cakewalk, right. you know, like, <laughs> so we just crammed all of our coffee operations into one end of the, of the structure and the rest of it, you know, imagine my space. It's, there's no lofts and there's no walls. It's all one open space and the coffee operations at one end. So that leaves, uh, it's a 20 foot trailer and there are coffee operations at about six feet. That leaves about 14 feet of space for customers. So we've set up, you know, kind of some bench type stuff and some standing areas. And, uh, it's so far it works, it works really well. Really cool. Now, and let me, let me put one little asterisk on there. We are not catering to the, what, what in the coffee world we call campers, which is the people that show oh. up with their laptop and say, Hey, I want to buy a $2 cup of coffee and stay for three hours. Right. As it turns out, that's not a real successful business model. You know? so, they, they probably kind of stand out in your place too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they would. They'd be like, uh, yeah, there's no anonymity with right. that. You're not going to hide in the corner. You know, we, we don't even have bathrooms. You know, one of, one of the things with our model is that we have to be in a place. Currently we're in a public park that has public restaurants available. Um, so we have to have places where customers can access bathrooms. That's one of the things that the health department, um, you know, is insistent upon. And that kind of leads off into a whole different conversation that perhaps we'll get to. Probably, yeah. So the, okay, this is really interesting. The, um, darn, I had, I had five questions flip through my head really quickly, and I didn't catch any of them. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, okay, so the... Um, He's got nothing. Got He's nothing. got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about your coffee tour. I think you said you you toured like you know two hundred different coffee shops. So how far did you travel? Like what states? Um, and talk a little bit about about the coffee and your your coffee selection process. You've tasted hundreds, if not thousands, of different roasters and grinds and. And uh, talk about that a little bit and, and your passion for coffee and how that trip sort of influenced your selection. Okay. Yeah, so we uh, drove over uh, 20,000 miles and wow. visited over 200 coffee shops and visited uh, 45 states wow. in, our, wow. in our tour. And um, let's see. So that was the first part of the question. Oh, and then about coffee selection. So we ended up naming our... Um, our business story coffee as in tell me a story and the reason we did that was because I was actually talking to my my father-in-law one day and I was telling him how you know we we, we've got this idea for a business but we haven't named it yet and I was saying you know I kind of get off into uh nostalgia and romance a lot and I was like you know we just these these are some of the we, we we had the honor and privilege of tasting some of the best coffees literally in the world because we're traveling around looking for the best coffee we can find you know and and we're going to select some of these coffees based in part upon the, first of all, the quality of the coffee. And secondly, though, upon the story behind that coffee. And, you know, for whatever reason, that coffee or the relationships that we built surrounding that coffee. In other words, if we if we met someone who just had a great story and they were doing great work, we wanted to share that story and that coffee. 
and I was telling him all this, you know, and he says, uh, well, he's one of, one of these matter-of-fact guys. He said, well, why don't you just name your coffee shop Story Coffee? And that's what we did. We ended up naming it Story because we, we want to share the stories of, first of all, the coffees and the people that, um, that you know, all the way back to origin, the people that pick them, that process them, and, and uh, you know, that type of thing. On up to the people who, you know, once they reach stateside, the people that are roasting them and, um, you know, packaging them and all that kind of thing. We want to share those stories all along the way. And then, of course, we have a bit of an interesting story as well, and people are always interested in that. And then um, the third story that we uh, that we care to talk about is the story of our customers and the people that we interact with. You know, we're aware that yes, the coffees are interesting. Yes, we hope, hopefully are somewhat interesting, but everybody that walks in our door is an interesting person as well. that has their own story. And uh, whether it's, man, I just, you know, got a new job or had my first baby or whatever, I'm going to get a cappuccino and celebrate or whether it's, you know, I just got fired from my job or my kid is sick or whatever. You know, like we all got stuff going on and we just want the people that come in our doors to know that we, are interested in what's going on with them. And that's one of the reasons, really, that's the first reason that we do coffee. And, um, you know, it's to build relationships and to be involved and a part of the community. Wow. So do you, do you still live in the Rialta? Well, um, sort of. I, I guess I can mostly answer that question by saying no. The, the reason I say sort of is we don't really live anywhere. So as it turns out, our business partners had a, a large house that they had bought because they're, um, and I should, by the way, I should mention, we are in partnership with Brandon and Kelly Nofsinger, who um, are, you know, as intricate to this whole story as, as, as my family is. Um, they, they also did a, an RV tour, you know, um, not as extensive as ours, but they did, they spent several months traveling around as well. So we, we all went and found these coffees together. But in any case, when we got to the Springs, they had a pretty good place to build and the tools to do it there in their house, and they had moved into a, a house that was really too large for them because they had an ailing uh, family member uh, who was terminally ill, and they needed to care for that person. And so eventually that, that person did pass away, and um, and they had this extra space left over. So we're living in that space while we're finishing the build. And then we sometimes live in our RV around the city, but mostly it's convenient for us just to keep living there. And then now that we've got our business launched, um, our next move out of the out of the Rialta RV will hopefully be to build our own tiny house to to move into that. Interesting. So when you move to where you are now and you have your coffee shop in this park, is it always going to be there, or are you like moving it around the city? Yeah, great question. And the answer is neither. Um, we, <laughs> as it turns out, we got right as we were launching our our business and looking for a location. Um, the city of Colorado Springs and their, and their downtown, like heart of the city, downtown park called Acacia Park, they were installing um, a temporary-ish ice skating rink. And so what they did was they said, look, we do this every year. It's called Skate in the Park. We set up for two months. And uh, we know you guys are looking to find a permanent location. But if you want a, a just a first location to, to kind of get started um, – you're invited to be here for two months. Wow. So we've set up in the heart of the city's most, you know, central park right in downtown. 
it could not be a more ideal or romantic wow. setting. And right next to us, there's a, a, a large skating ice skating rink. So people coming in That's and cool. ice skating uh-huh. and then coming over and buying coffee or hot chocolate from us or whatever. And then meanwhile, we're surrounded by all the businesses of the, of the downtown area that we're starting to make friends with those folks that are coming in as well. Of course, some of them come in for coffee. Others come in. Um, because they see a tiny house sitting in the middle of a park, you know, and they just want to come, come look around and say, hey, what's going on here, you know? Right. So for all reasons, we are just thrilled to be there. Fantastic. Uh, to, to, to finish answering your question, I suppose, once we finish with this, it'll go through January 18th. Once we finish with that, we are hoping to settle into a permanent location where we're not looking to move around. Okay. So you sound like you're amped. How many cups of coffee do you drink every day? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, as it turns out, not that many. I've had plenty this morning, um, but uh, I, I'm I'm a I'm a quality guy. This kind of goes along with my uh, my tiny house thoughts. Like I don't need large volumes of anything. I just need it to be really good. So I, I enjoy drinking about a one one you know eight ounce drink, or maybe even a five ounce cappuccino or something, and then wow. I'm pretty good for the day. Wow. Wow. So, um, interesting. So, now that we're on the subject of coffee, how did you get into coffee? It sounds like it's become a, it's a passion of yours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a long story. Um, short version, when I was, I'm, I'm 45 now. When I was 30, I was living in Oklahoma, and uh, I was work, working in the, the church world, and just kind of like this, I was still single, and it occurred to me that I don't, I, I have options. I don't have to do what I'm doing in the context I'm doing it, and I don't have to do it in Oklahoma. Nothing wrong with Oklahoma, but I'm like, there's a lot of world out there. I could do anything. So I sold my house, bought a Jeep, moved to Colorado Springs because I had some friends here, and I got a job at Starbucks. And uh, that was kind of the, the entryway. Starbucks, you know, Great place to work, has great benefits, etc. And so I worked there, ended up getting married. And um, as we talked about, you know, as I've been working at Starbucks for several years, and now I'm married, had our first kid there here in the Springs, and um, started talking about, okay, so now that we're, you know, not just Don and his Jeep, we're like a family, what do we want to do with our lives? And the answer was, you know, we, we still value. You know, for the same reason I got into working in the church world, which is I care about the lives of people and being involved with them and what they're going through and sharing that journey. And it occurred to me that, you know, and this is not unusual to me. Lots of people has occurred to this is coffee is one way to be involved in the lives of people because you, you do, we don't, we're not really trying to sell a cup of coffee. We're trying to build a relationship with an individual who will come buy a cup of coffee regularly. You know, so you're, you're, you're really not trying to sell coffee. You're trying to essentially earn clients who come see you all the time. That's the successful business model. Awesome. So in so doing, the way that you or, or a byproduct or maybe the intent of that model is that you build relationships with people. So because we you know, had fallen in love with coffee and the stories of coffee and the producers of coffee, et cetera, plus – with this values-based idea of, of wanting to be involved in the lives of people, coffee was a pretty good, um, maybe an obvious choice for us. And then we started looking around. I'm going to circle back around and answer something I kind of left un, undone earlier. We started looking around for, well, do we want to stay in the Springs or do something different? And that's when we went to Portland um, because there's a great coffee culture there. 
and we wanted to do, you know, live in a, another interesting city, kind of along those same lines. Like, hey, we can live anywhere, you know, where do we want to live? So we moved to Portland, got involved in coffee, ended up owning three shops and meeting a lot of great people and becoming uh, judges on the U.S. Barista champ- Championship wow. circuit. And um, just had a lot of great opportunity there. But meanwhile, to tag it back around to something I said earlier, our kids started growing up, and we said, man, we're a long ways from home, which is what brought us back to Colorado Springs. Yeah, very cool. Hey, are you talking to us on a um, an integrated headphone mic? Um, I don't know what that means, but I've got my little headset plugged into my computer. And your headset, is the mic integrated into the wires of your headset? Yes. Okay. So when you when you talk, could you hold the the wire in your hand because we're getting the feedback from the microphone. A little bit of rubbing. Sounds. Yeah, rubbing it on. Unless you're oh, rubbing gotcha. yourself like a cricket. <laughs> yep. Which, if you are, that's okay. Yeah, my middle name is Jiminy. I don't know if I mentioned that. There you go. <laughs> I had one question. Another question about the tour. Or I'm going to pull a Michelle. I'm going to do a two part question. Okay. Or sometimes it's a seven part question, so take notes. Anyway, two two part question. Um, so you did. 45 states, I'm assuming two of the states weren't Alaska and uh, Hawaii. So, yes. first question is, what three states do you hate? And then the other question <laughs> and the other question is, so when you're out there doing your tour, um, you obviously said you saw 200 things, and it's like, oh, this impacted that, and, and, and then you brought this into it. You know, oh, well, no, it's a tiny house. We can't put a pool table in ours. But what, what couple of other kind of elements did you pull in that you saw that were unique to some of the things that you saw on that tour? Oh, great question. Okay, so back to your first question. Uh, the three states that we, we do not hate. <laughs> uh, and each of which uh, I or my wife have been to, but we just didn't go on the tour in our RV. And no reason except for it just didn't work out. One was North Dakota, which perhaps ironically, my wife was born in North Dakota. Um, But you might, you know, if you understand geographically where that is and then what's there once you get there, you might realize that there's not a high motivation to go all that distance, you know, out of your way. You're traveling around. So North Dakota was one. Another one was um, Mississippi, which just we were all around it, just didn't happen to finally get into it. Huh. And then similarly was Nebraska. Okay. Those are, those are the three plus, as you mentioned, Hawaii and Alaska that we didn't yeah, make yeah. it to. Okay. Um, and then your other question, as I understand it, like what, what, what do we see that we kind of integrated? Is yeah. that kind of the... Yeah, what, yeah. Did you, what did you see that kind of stood out as, well, that's a really... Because you obviously saw a lot of unique things that probably stuck out a lot yeah. at, at, so what did you see that you integrate and I guess too you know what did you see that you wish you could have but because of size or other things maybe you couldn't so sure well you know I, I just um, I'm going to keep gently pushing back on this notion because I'm just such a I'm in love so much with the, the tiny idea that sure. I think you can do anything in a tiny environment like I don't I don't, I don't sense limitations right. because of living tiny um, you know, again, when you live with four people in a hundred square feet for three years, you think, man, I can do anything. Right. And, um, and then when you get 160 square feet to work with, plus, by the way, we have a couple of small decks now. They're really more like porches, but we're intending to, especially when we land in a more permanent location to build those decks out. So I can, you know, I could probably, um, accommodate, and I know I'm getting off a little bit, but I'll, I'll circle back around. I could probably accommodate comfortably, um, a dozen people inside my uh, shop, and then if I add a deck with another ten chairs or something, it's pr- it's a pretty large number of people. Sure, you know, like sure. again, when you when you, especially when you remove 
the campers that I alluded to earlier, um, or anybody that's just, you know, hanging out business meetings or whatever, you know, that's not what we are. That's not what we do, right. which really circles back around to some of the things that we saw, you know, there were so many great experiences, but, um, I'll just mention a few, um, I'll start in the category of people that were doing something high quality in a small shop. The first one that I remember being aware aware of is Barista in Portland, Oregon, which to this day is one of my favorite, absolute favorite coffee shops I've ever been to. They they have four locations now. Their original location is set up in the um, kind of the entryway of a larger building, yeah, and they they have just a tiny amount of space that they produce coffee in and all, far less space than we currently do in our tiny house for customers inside their specific space. And then they spill out into the kind of the walkway of the building. They have a few little tables set up. So they have a few extra spots out there. And so seeing that in places like that, another one that comes to mind, not just coffee in uh, Charlotte. I always get my shars confused. I don't want to say, I think it's Charlotte, not Charlottesville or Charleston, but Charlotte. With all apologies to not just coffee and their sound, their town. I believe it's Charlotte, North Carolina. They're like in a uh, multi, kind of like a a high-end farmer's market kind of a deal, you know. So they're one sort of booth amongst others that are selling, you know, handcrafted goods and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, just doing great, great work and, and just inspiring, you know, use of their space. Um, so we, we saw some of those places and that, that are doing great work in a small space, and that was inspiring to us. Another one that comes to mind, Single Origin in uh, L.A. It's L.A. or San Francisco? L.A., yeah. Sorry, when you do 200 shops, they start to kind of run together. That's all right. um, so a few, a few shops like that that are doing great work, and I could go on great, great work in small spaces and uh, from a business model standpoint, you know, it's not about having the, the, the 2,000 the two thousand square feet space where people can have their business meetings. Really, it's about selling that drink in, a, in a, either a small a quantity so the person drinks it and moves on or, you know, of course, in a paper cup where they're just going to buy the drink and walk out anyway. You make, again, from a business standpoint, which is not the only consideration, but from a business standpoint, you make more money on the guy who comes in and grabs his 12 ounce coffee in a paper cup and walks out than you do on the camper who you got to pay for toilet paper for the bathroom. You know, again, not me because I don't have a bathroom, but in my old shop, I had to pay for internet for them. I had to pay for the water glass that they use and to wash it and the staff to take care of them and and on and on and on, you know, we have all these expenses. So the, the money is made on the people that's grabbing the coffee and going. Right. I'm off in the weeds a little bit, but hats off to the great small space shops that we saw on our tour who are doing really great work with the coffee and doing it in a, in a tiny-ish environment. And then beyond that, there's other little things that we incorporated. A big one is a, a big one of the little things is what equipment that we have chosen you know, we had the opportunity to talk to people about what grinders they're using and what machines they're using, et cetera. And so we incorporated some of those things that we saw. Um, and then other little little touches, for example, we, we serve a cappuccino with a on a saucer with a spoon. And in the tiny spoon is one single, um, in our case, it's a chocolate and sea salt covered almond that just comes with your drink you know, every time. And we stole that idea from a couple of different places that did something similar. Um, most notably was uh, Stone Creek in Milwaukee. They, they, they do some 
basically the same thing, except they, they use a chocolate-covered espresso bean. And we thought that was a nice little touch. Also, uh, Bird Rock in San Diego, they serve their cappuccinos with a tiny cookie on the side. You know, So we knew we wanted to do something like that to kind of make it a little nicer, you know. Yeah. And so we stole a few little ideas like that. Very cool. Oh, awesome. that's so cool. So the, the, um, what type of tiny house did you um, end up building for your coffee shop? Sure. So our goal was, of course, to um, to to, to uh, either design or purchase a design, which is what we ended up doing, and I'll come back to that in a second, that would maximize the space right. that we're going to have available. So obviously we didn't want to do uh, lofts or, you know, it, it, we're not going to be living in it, et cetera. So really we wanted something with a high roof. We didn't want to do the... Uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm making motions with my hands that you can't see. The, <laughs> the, yeah, you know, the roof that goes up in the middle. I don't know what it's called. Um, but we also didn't want to just do the, the slanted roof that goes, you know, it's eight feet on one side and ten feet on the next, and that's the whole thing. Right. So we kind of split the difference in that. We also wanted something with a lot of natural light and, uh, and a high ceiling as possible so it would feel larger than it really is. So... The design that we, and by the way, we also wanted to buy a design instead of design from scratch for two reasons. One, because we're not architects, et cetera. And mostly because we are, we knew we were going to be a commercial space. And so we knew that there would be some certain challenges um, with the authorities, at least potentially with the authorities. And we wanted to be able to say, yes, this was, this building was designed by a architect and uh, there are structural engineers that have, you know, looked it over, et cetera, and not just like, well, I don't know, officer or health department inspector or building department inspector. We just kind of made it up. What you think? You know, we wanted to be able to play the card of this was an architect's design. So to meet all of those um, criterion, we ended up going with uh, the Cider House by Shelterwise out of Oregon, out of Portland area. Shout out to Darren Williams. Yep. Shout, out to Darren. Shout out to Darren Williams. Yep. Love me some Darren. And, uh, and then his crew. So yeah, we, we, we purchased that design and then we modified it slightly, um, here and there. But if you, if you look at the house, you recognize immediately those, those long, uh, horizontal high five windows, five high windows up top that just let in tons of natural light. And then uh, we also stole a, an idea from the tall man's tiny house with the, uh, kind of three vertical windows, um, Next, you know, on the main front, we wanted those three windows. In my shop in Portland, we didn't have – it was an old building. We had awful airflow. And so one of my things was, like, when I when I design a new um, shop, I'm going to have lots of windows, and they're all going to open, and I'm going to be able to have, you know, crazy airflow, and I'm going to be able to control, you know, how that feels based upon that. So we have – tons of windows we have two doorways one set on the end is a set of french doors and then on the side is our standard 36 inch doorway both full glass for you know full windows um yeah i could keep talking but that uh, hopefully that answers your question well it's, cer it's certainly beautiful looking i'm looking at it at your website um so are you i guess the one of the most successful brands of coffee places that i see around the country is or at least in in oregon and, and washington is Dutch Brothers, and, and, you know, their claim to fame is super hot women serving coffee from a, a little <laughs> tiny drive through kiosk. Are you guys going to offer drive through service at some point? We are decidedly not. 
going to offer drive-thru service. But hot women, what about, there are plenty. Exactly. That's my next name. What about the hot women? Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, I'm a 45-year-old uh, dude, so I guess not. I am married to a 35-year-old lady that I feel is quite attractive, but that's probably as close as we get. Um, so to your perhaps more salient point, we had a, we, we, we a drive-thru at our shop in Oregon in Portland for a while and then we closed it because you know again I'm going to circle back around to this theme it's about my values I'm, I'm not in this thing to make money and it just because I think I might make more of it with a drive-through does not appeal to me I'm into it to keep it as simple as possible and to live the life that I want to live which I believe is why people do tiny right like yeah it's sure it's cool and it's interesting whatever, but at the end of the day you're doing it because there are values that you hold that you want to be able to incorporate automatically into your life. And a drive-through, with all due respect to the drive-throughs out there, um, that's a thing, and it is set up for a purpose. And uh, to the you know mother of three, with her, I, I'm thinking of my sister-in-law who has three kids, you know, aged five and below. Man, when she's got those kids strapped in and it's raining outside or whatever, she's looking for a drive-through, and I have no problem with that. That's also not what we do. Right. I decided that I, I'm not the guy that wants to shove a great cup of coffee that I have carefully sourced and carefully prepared. I don't want to shove it out a window to somebody in an idling vehicle. You know, I want them to, I want to look them in the eye and I want to, I want to see what's going on with them, you know, et cetera. So we're willing to lose the mom with the three kids um, strapped in. We're willing to lose that business in order to trade the life that I want and the values that I have, which is I want to, you know, I want to look across the counter into your eyes and I want to have an experience with you, you know? So again, I know I get a little romantic and nostalgic and, and, uh, uh, what a weird on this stuff, but it's also why we do what we do and why we do it in the format that we do it. Right. So quick question on that. So you've heard of, uh, the Jerry Seinfeld show comedians in cars getting coffee. Oh, absolutely! So, yeah, I love it. So, so work with me on this one. Just, just come close. Okay. And imagine this. So, here's what you can do. There's no drive-through, but what you can do is get somebody a cup of coffee and implant a stranger in their car to talk to them for half an hour. How's it driving around? Yeah, that sounds like a very sustainable business. Totally. <laughs> totally. It's a little bit Uber, a little bit coffee. Right? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I think Michelle has a real question. No, actually, I was just, no, I was going to comment on it, on your business model and your values and, and just the me fact too. that you have, um, it, I think it's really, really, I want to say that it's very commendable that you have not tried to be everything to everybody. And like that some you... other coffee companies we know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that you're not, that you just keep on circling back and saying, instead of doing everything slightly good, we want to do one thing really, really well. And, you know, we want to have a good time and have a high quality of living um, at the same time. So I, I personally would just like to commend you it's a really, really awesome thing to hear a small business owner talk about their personal values and how that influenced their business model. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're yeah. welcome. So, so um, it, if, I, if I heard you correctly earlier in our, in our chat today, you were interested in pursuing some sort of divinity purpose. Is that right? Well, I, said, uh, work, I worked in the church world for about 10 years. So I've, I 
I happen to be in possession of a couple of Bible degrees, yeah. God, okay, okay. I mean, you, when you talk, you sound to me like a minister, actually. And so I was wondering, when, you, when, you're, um, when you're giving your coffee to the customer and you're making eye contact, is there some sort of a, a spiritual connection you're trying to make? Or um, do you proselytize by any chance? Or do, <laughs> yeah. do you counsel? I mean, how, how, does, how does that value show up in your, in your service? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to clarify that, because I'll start with this. I absolutely do not proselytize. <laughs> that's, that's not at all what we're doing. We're not, we're not using our coffee program as an outreach to, you know, convert people to the faith that I have chosen. Um, and to your question about is there a spiritual connection there, I, I would say yes, because um, that's kind of the way I think about the world. I think, I think it in terms of, you know, spirituality, but I'm not so interested in, um, you know, here's what I believe. You ought to believe that as well. I'm uh, more interested in, you know, so here's what's going on, but it's not necessarily what's going on. You know, like, like I said earlier, like, yeah, you're here for a cup of coffee, but you might be here for, um, in, in addition to the cup of coffee, you might be here for, um, you know, a meaningful interaction with another human being who cares about what's going on with you, you know, um, from a religious slash spiritual standpoint, the way I come to think about my faith, which by the way, I, I rarely talk about this in this context. I accidentally kind of mentioned it earlier and then you clued on I'm, and I'm happy to talk about it, but I just want to make it clear. It's not really the point of my, you know, that's not what I really care mostly to talk about. But since you asked, uh, from the point of my, of my faith, the way I think about my faith is, um, and, and by the way, I was in a context where that was the name of the game, which is what I mean by that is, you know, the proselytization, et cetera. The name of the name of my game now, as I think about it and as I can best understand what's going on, which, you know, I think hardly any of us have any clue as to what's going on because there's just so much of it that we don't understand. But I'm off in the weeds. The, the way I think about it. The way I think about it is the best way that I can um, encourage anybody in their spiritual journey is to be a um, productive member of the community that has a purpose to be here, just like everybody else. You know, I'm looking across the street. I'm, I'm sitting in, uh, in in my RV actually across from the, our coffee shop, and I'm looking across the street, and I'm seeing, you know, a, a, a diner and a bike shop and a tattoo parlor and you know, a bookstore and all those people, they just have a, a reason to be here. You know, they sure they're selling something just like I am, but they're also just members of the community. You know, they show up at city council meetings and at school board meetings. And at the end of the day, we're all just trying to do the best we can to bring as much, you know, hopefully we are at, at our best. We're, we're doing the best we can to bring as much value to um, the community and to one another's lives as we possibly can. You know, like the, the those who are thoughtful about life understand it's not about making the, the dollar or getting the, the bigger, better stuff. It's really about adding value to the lives of those around you. And the way that they've chosen to do it is to sell a breakfast burrito or to ink somebody's arm. And the way I'm choosing to do that is to be, um, you know, selling coffee. And at, at the end of the day, to the extent that we are spiritual people and that anybody's interested in spirituality – I, I think that's the best we can do is to be a, a productive member of society, to be the best husband that I can be, um, to be the best father that I can be, 
And if there ever was a hope at proselytization in there anywhere, then I would I would just rely on that. Like if, if somebody sees that, you know, they they appreciate something about the way, you know, my life is configured or whatever, and uh, and they can be encouraged in their spiritual journey, then that's just icing on the cake. That's great, you know. So to wrap that up, I think that if most people would do that, I think the world would be a better place. You know, like let's stop worrying about, you know, converting somebody to believe what you believe. And let's just all try to help one another be better human beings and better citizens of the planet. And, uh, and just let that be our, our life's work. Very cool. That's perfect. Yeah. Just curious. What is your, what is your, um, system of belief? Um, what you might call Christian, depending on what you mean when you say that. Right. Um, so, Christian spirituality, maybe I would say. Would you? I'm say only that? I'm only hesitant to say Christian because there are so many people that when you say Christian, they what pops into their head is not what I would want to communicate. Right, got it. It sounds like it's different than than what you were doing when you were a part of the church. I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Right. So the, your your pictures on your website show your uh, I think that's your wife in the tiny house. Is that is that her? Poking her head out the window. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's Carissa. So, so she, this Car- Carissa, uh, uh, I presume, shares your passion for coffee and and the values you hold. She does. She actually, um, while I was building the tiny house after we moved here in July, she got a job at one of the city's uh, other fine coffee houses called the Principal's Office. Um, and so she's a barista there, and um, yeah, she's she's worked in the coffee world for years. She actually, we we both have done. Um, barista competition judging and she has excelled in that um context beyond what i have she's very good at it huh and um and how did you i want to talk about the uh, the judging because that's a real fascinating story we're almost out of oh no okay okay um so so how old are your kids well yesterday my oldest turned 11 and my other uh daughter is nine they're both girls and are, do they go to regular school or do you homeschool or how does that work out? Uh, they, they essentially go to regular school. Um, for while on the year we were traveling, we did a version of homeschooling, which we weren't good at, <laughs> um, which was basically like, hey, we're going to be traveling for hours upon hours. Why don't you guys read? And, uh, <laughs> my kids, my kids uh, love to read, thankfully. And... Um, People that know more than I do about educating children say that, um, uh, you know, if kids are reading, that's a, a huge part of the battle. Um, and uh, my kids read tons. And so, anyway, we were kind of okay with not being too aggressive about their education during that year, is my point. <laughs> we did a lot of quote unquote history lessons. Huh. Like, oh, hey, kids, look, we're in Washington, D.C., let's talk about presidents. Um, that, that failure occurred most vividly when we were at, <laughs> when we were at, um, uh, Mount Rushmore with um, the mountain with the presidents, Mount Rushmore. And I asked my youngest, it's like, so do you know who the presidents are? Uh, George Washington, uh, Abraham Lincoln and, uh, Bill Cosby. that's it you're going back to school yeah so once we landed in colorado springs they went back to a public school oh funny funny so are you are you planning to make colorado springs your final final home yeah as far as we can see now yes 
you know, I would have said the same thing about Portland five years ago, though. I was so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, interesting. And real quick, what were the three um, coffee houses you owned in Portland? Um, they were called Coffee Max, Coffee Stop, and Speedboat Coffee. None, None of which, of which I, I named. Uh, I bought all three of those uh, in existence. And, uh, you know, Story is the first one that I've built from the ground up and got to name myself. Yeah, literally. Fantastic work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so uh, we're, we're going to let you call out here with, uh, tell us your, your website, your, uh, your current address, location, hours of operation, your dog's name, and your personal cell phone number. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I can also post a, a, uh, a picture of my uh, social security number. <laughs> be great. So, yeah, we are located in, um, in downtown Colorado Springs in Acacia Park. It doesn't really have an address because we're just set up in the middle of the park, but we are um, at the corners of uh, Tejon, and Bijou, B-I-J-O-U. But, you know, everybody's got a smartphone. You can just put in Acacia Park, Colorado Springs, and it'll bring you right to us. Cool. Um, our hours are, because we are open, um, this is a little point of clarification, too. You may remember me talking about how, yeah, we wanted to do something simple so we could just be open 7 to 2, right. Monday through Friday, then I can go home and play with my kids. Right. And instead, we got invited to be next to the ice skating rink, and one of their requests was, like, yeah, the only thing is we'd love for you to commit to being open when we're open well they're open seven days a week until nine o'clock at night (laughs) so for the first two months of our existence we will be open um, monday through friday we're open seven in the morning because that's whenever we uh hope to make friends with the coffee drinking people of downtown till nine o'clock at night so those are you know if you're doing math that's 14 hour days monday through friday and then on weekends we open a little bit later we open at 11 on saturday and Oh, sorry, 9 on Saturday and 11 on Sunday. And we're open till 9 o'clock at night, seven days a week. Wow. Um, wow. That will change once we settle into our, our different location. But that's that'll be the case up through January the 18th. Wow. And your website? Website, storycoffeecompany.com. Great. And what's what's the best drink that you guys offer? Cappuccino. Oh, that's too easy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although, maybe, let me... That's my favorite one to make. Let me let me uh, tease you a little bit more. We have two or three things on our menu under the something special category. Yeah. One of them that's pretty unique is a coffee flight. Um, and back to a question that Michelle asked a long time ago, we chose some of the best coffees that we could find in, in, from our travels. And in order to kind of present those and highlight them, we keep two different coffees on brew at all time. And you can order a coffee flight and get those two coffees served side by side so you can kind of compare and contrast them. And that's something that's kind of unique. You can do that in a lot of shops, but you have to order like two different pour-overs. And we don't do pour-overs. We bash brew everything. Um, So that's something that's interesting. And then perhaps partially to accommodate some of the skating crowd, we did come up with a couple of interesting drinks. Most notably is one called, uh, it's a a take on the hot buttered rum. It's called Hot Buttered Yum. And I feel a little (laughs) weird saying that, but, you know, it, it that was the thing we could think of that best describes it. It's hot. It's literally made with a, a batter of buttered, spicy stuff like you would a hot buttered rum, except, of course, there's no alcohol. There's espresso in it instead with steamed milk, and it is delicious. So okay. we call it the hot buttered yum. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> no, no takeoffs on no, like, uh, 
Tanya Harding bash your knee cider. No skating metaphors, huh? We, yeah, we, uh, we probably could talk. Yeah. Sounds like you've got some interesting ideas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice way to say, shut up, Mark. <laughs> All right. Don, fantastic talking with you. Thanks for sharing your stories. Thank the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you so much for the time. Cool. Thank you. Bye. All right, listeners, tune in with us next week on Tiny House Podcast, and we'll talk to you then. But our guest will be no clue at all. Exactly. We'll figure it out. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 